The Full Exposure Podcast is made possible by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn in appreciation for the contributions that artists and creative minds provide to our community. Arts and culture are essential to a rich and rewarding life, strengthening our overall well-being and our appreciation of all that we see, hear, and experience. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. This is our very first coronavirus outbreak episode, and uh, I hope we don't have a lot of these, but I I think we're in this uh, coronavirus thing for a while. But uh, first off, I need to thank uh, specifically LaughFest for making this episode with Adam, Kate, and Holland possible. Um, if you don't know LaughFest, if you're not from the West Michigan area or Michigan, uh, LaughFest is a 10-day comedy festival which uh, benefits, uh, all the proceeds benefit Gilda's Club of Grand Rapids, which is named after Gilda Radner of Saturday Night Live fame. And uh, their purpose and mission is to help anyone along their cancer journey. Now, these could be people with cancer. These could be family members who are impacted by cancer. These could be um, anyone who may have a friend and uh, they are dealing with cancer in some way in their life. And uh, the other part besides cancer is they deal with grief. And anyone who's on a grieving journey of some kind uh, is welcome to attend and be part of Gilda's Club of Grand Rapids, and it's entirely free. There's no charges. There's no insurance card to present. It is a fantastic organization making a huge impact in people's lives. And um, so because of my long relationship with LaughFest, uh, 10 years now, I've been creating artist portraits of the top comedians that come into town. Which brings me back to uh, today's guest, Adam Caton Holland. I first met him in 2016. I did a portrait of him at the Pyramid Scheme uh, where he was performing stand-up. And Adam and I had a very quick photo shoot. It was only quick because uh, we nailed it. It was one of the uh, easiest portraits I ever made. It probably lasted a minute and a half or two minutes. It was outside the Pyramid Scheme. Um, it's a funny portrait. I've put it on uh, Adam's episode page at the fullexposurepodcast.com website. And I love it. And Adam loved it. And we made a very brief connection there. Did not stay in touch. Um, but when LaughFest uh, announced that he was coming back for the 2020 edition of LaughFest, I was excited because I was going to see Adam Caton Holland again in my hometown. And I knew I'd have to take another portrait of him. And uh, for this edition, uh, he was not just performing stand-up. He was performing his one-man show, which we talk a lot about in this episode. It's called um, Happy Place, and it deals with some very serious issues. It deals with depression. It deals with uh, suicide that impacted Adam directly in his family. And he wrote something very moving, something very funny, and he performed his one-man show uh, here at the listening room. Um, about a week ago as part of LaughFest. Now, as I um, record this introduction to this episode today, on Friday the 13th, uh, March 13th, um, LaughFest decided to uh, prudently 
uh, suspend the remaining uh, shows because we can't gather in large groups and it's not safe for the community to gather in large groups. So they have postponed the remainder of their shows that were on this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, we hope that uh, you know we'll get those rescheduled at some point this year. But uh, I need to thank LaughFest because of uh, they brought Adam, Adam Kate, and Holland in. And I asked him if I could do a podcast with Adam because, um, you know, the subject matter of his stand-up while he was in town, or, or I'm sorry, his one-man show, uh, dealt with some very serious issues, and I knew that Adam would be a great guest. So just a, a friendly sort of information. This episode does touch on suicide. It touches uh, on depression and mental health, and it's a serious episode. There are some swears in it, which is okay, you know? We're all big people. We uh, we we uh, deal with life on life's terms. Sometimes that uh, involves uh, profanity, and that's uh, okay. So um, let me formally introduce Adam Caton Holland. is an American writer and fantastic comedian who might be best known as his character Lauren Payton on the True TV series Those Who Can't. The show inspired a serious cult following and enjoyed three critically acclaimed seasons. That co-starred Adam and his Growlix partners, Andrew Overdahl and Ben Roy. The series also spotlighted frequent guest stars like Patton Oswalt, uh, Rory Scovel, and the Sklar brothers. But uh, those who can't, his series that he dreamed about, wrote uh, with his writing partners and co-produced, co-executive produced, was greenlit at exactly the worst time in Adam's entire life. Adam was feeling the tremendous high of having his dreams fulfilled, of working on his very own television show, at the very same time that he was struggling with the devastation and grief he felt after his beloved younger sister, Lydia, committed suicide. This emotional conflict led Adam on a journey of healing and therapy, which resulted in his book, Tragedy Plus Time. It's a darkly funny memoir and a tribute to his sister. Adam consistently tours the country as a stand-up. He also has a one-man show, as I mentioned, called Happy Place, which is all about his grief journey and his sister, Lydia. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Let's explore the bigger picture with my guest, all the way from Denver, Colorado, Adam Caton Holland. Mark will let me know when we're rolling the cameras, but with the, um, I gotta get my, I took some notes for you, dude. Wow. This yeah. is so professional. This is not, when you ask me to do a podcast, this is not what you expect. Well, <laughs> you're just like, all right, see expects, you in your so, living room. But that's what's funny about Laugh Fest to me is because, uh, I've been the festival photographer from the jump. You yeah, know? yeah. So 10 years, this is the 10th year. And when you did the asks of management and you forwarded, you know, whatever we needed and it was like a portrait it was kind of pulling teeth at first. Yeah. And then, but people showed up and they, you know, they took one for the team. But at the time, you know, and then they arrive and then they, they get, it's a full shoot. And, but it's gotten easier every year. And then, yeah, as your work like, sort of yeah. precedes you. And, and people come back like yourself. Sure. And then you, you know, you're like, okay, well, oh yeah, the, that's the festival where they do a portrait. I like, kind of like the one last time. Totally. Sometimes I can get a little more time. Like Rory Scovel did, um, uh, same thing. Shot him at the Pyramid Scheme probably a year or two after you. Okay, and then um, and then he came back a couple years later, 
And we ended up doing this whole thing with golf clubs in a suite. Oh, yeah, he's such... Oh, I've seen those shots. Yeah, yeah. yeah those and are they, great shots. They ended up running in... In the uh, golf magazine. Yeah, the golf magazine's uh, Mr. Golfer. That's hilarious. But, those like, are, those you are know, great. he gave us, in like, an hour and a half in his hotel suite. And cool. He was, same thing. When people are in town for a couple nights, you can usually get, get a little better shot at getting a better photo shoot. But, um... But now with the podcast, I'm not, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. local dude asked me to no, do a podcast yeah. and it's like, well, oh, I get it. I mean, that's why I agreed, honestly, was because of the professionalism of the photos and you're just a nice guy. We but are yeah, recording hear, this and this you. is all we're putting out. So whatever <laughs> you say after this doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're done. Can I get a ride home? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, Adam Caton. Holland. Yes. I added the hyphen. Thank you. So did Thanks my for family. Coming on. <laughs> this is uh I this was such a spur of the moment thing. We did a photo shoot last night yeah. for your show for Laugh Fest. Yes. At the listening room. What did you think of that venue, by the way? I loved it. Isn't that cool? I loved it. And the guy that owned it was really cool. Yeah. And uh I'm like a nineties kid and I, I watched so many MTV music videos growing up, so I just know every 90s band. And on the wall back there, it was like the Verve Pipe had signed it. Yeah, and then yeah. Marcy Playground had signed it. And I was like, this is awesome. And he's like, my wife's in the Verve Pipe. And I was like, what? I had no idea they're from here. Yeah, so right from here, man. It was, yeah, it was, it was nice. In fact, the lead singer, Brian Vanderick, was my very, he's a buddy of mine. Oh, wow. Uh, he was the very first guest on the podcast. That's, I got to go back and yeah, give it a listen. Well, that's episode one. You All know, right. We're still working out some kinks. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, the venue was great. And yeah. the, the guy that owned it was really sweet. And the, every, people came out and had a blast. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a full room. And uh, that was great. But um, so I don't know if I have a, <clears throat> I may have a bone to pick with you Great. about something, and we're going to start off with that because I need to settle this shit. I right didn't now. know this was WTF. Oh, it's we're thrown <laughs> down. We're thrown down right now. Are we good? Are we you, good? <laughs> are we good? <laughs> we're just talking about Marin. But anyway, the uh, I, I want to talk about sweaters because I you have quite a sweater game. Yes, I do. I uh, and I'm a zipper sweater guy. Okay, and. You're more of a cardigan, cardigan guy. Yeah, absolutely. I used to zipper sweat, but no longer. What What was the move to the button uh, off the zipper? Because here's my evolution. Sure. Then I'm going to toss it back to you. Go ahead. Uh, You're pre- in a zipper sweater right now. Uh, dude, it's my brand. People uh, know it. They yeah. do dumb comments on my sp- social media. You know, I was like, hey, great zipper. You need new zipper sweaters? <laughs> anyway, it's a thing. I don't know. Yeah. You don't swim upstream when the motion is taking you down. You e- know? Eventually, you get to a certain age where you're like, yeah, that's my brand. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I have no fight. I have no fight left you in me. La- we're end up lazy and tired. Yeah, dude. You're like, okay, I'm the zipper sweater guy. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I started three-quarter zips. A lot of like fleeces get too hot. You know that you know the start with the Patagonia sure. that thing, and then I was like, no, I need I need to up this up. So then it became three quarters in different materials. Got it. Now I'm just full zips, mostly because I've gotten fatter the last two three years. I need I need to I need, need to be need able to, to zip out. I need to get out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would argue counterpoint. Okay. If you're worried about you know weight or whatever, then that the zipper might be more contained, like the. The button yeah. hides even better. You think? I think the zipper is more form fitting than a button up card. Yeah, but that the form fitting part there, those are for the chubby chasing ladies. Oh, I they, see. It's a little more form fitting. I like that. Yeah. putting that out there. Yeah, because the button thing it depends on. Do you are you partial to a particular button material? Mm. Is it like a turtle shell? Everything or you know, whatever's the most endangered whale. <laughs> Just like all it, ivory. Yeah, it's it's all, it's all ivory for it's me. All, 
Toss of <laughs> yep. elephants. 100%. <laughs> um, no, I have no preference. But truthfully, I've never worn a zip-up sweater. Really? Never. And I think, and I'm only new to the cardigan game in the last, I don't know, let's say 10 years. Yeah. And I just felt like the first one I got got buttons, so that's just like my luck. What, right. I, you, I tried one on. It looked good for me. And, uh, and does so it I've feel never gone good? Otherwise. Does it feel good when you find a piece of wardrobe that finally sort of catches up to your pretentiousness all your life? <laughs> well, uh, I feel like I'm constantly outpacing it. Yeah, yeah. It, I need like, some. There's no wardrobe that can contain. Yeah, the level of pretentiousness that is happening. Well, it's funny. I always like if I play a comedy club, I'll be there for three days, and I usually rock the cardigan Thursday to yeah. like, like a statement. Yo, <laughs> I'm in town. I'm here. And everyone needs to sort of like step up their game accordingly. Yeah. Openers, and yeah, then, then see, see what they do the next day. Yeah. But then by Saturday, I'm like, you know, just this, just chill. Yeah. Just your average ACH. In I'm in yeah. town, but I like Blue the collar. Make- but you know, by by Saturday, a couple nights are in. You're more of a workhorse. You're more you're of a 100%. lunch pail. You're a lunch pail comedian. Yeah, I've been hanging out with various unions in yeah. town, <laughs> and just meeting the guys down by the docks, getting yeah. the real flavor. So yeah, Trying I start up I start up here, but then I'm I'm a man of the people by the end of it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> it's a whole evolution over three days if, if you book me in your city. Well, let's go back to your history of Grand Rapids because you've, you've intersected here a few times. I met you in 2016 was the first time we did a shoot together. Mm-hmm. You were within only two of your, uh, what do you call it, a trifecta of well, uh, the, the growlings, growl, growl, growlings, not, sorry. The groundlings? Growl, um, growlings. The growlings. Growlings, The growlings is, uh, is me and Ben Roy and Andrew Overdahl, and we're just a trio. Right. And we don't really perform together. We do a show, uh, we, a monthly live show, and the three of us will host it together. So yeah. up front, we're riffing and being yep. funny. But then we're all just individual stand-ups like on top your, of That's it. why I enjoy your podcast, too. So we'll dump that in there, too, sure. for people to check out. But uh, yeah. you guys started a podcast maybe, what, uh, last year? Or, no, or no, no, no. This, this thing's brand new. It's, uh, it's only four episodes deep. So it's called The Grolic Saves the World. And, and the bottom line is, like, Andrew and Ben and I have known each other for now 16 years. Yeah. And when you start comedy, you find the people that you're drawn to, yeah. whose sense of humor you like. And it's been these guys for a long time. And, like... People come and people go, but it's always been these three, me, Ben, and Andrew, has been yeah. the consistent. Now we've done a TV show and stuff, so we're just doubling down. You'd, yeah. you'd think we'd get sick of each other, but we're just more well, into creating with one another. Especially as you get older as an adult, it's hard. Uh, you don't get to spend a lot of time with people, especially now you're a newer father. Right. And you're married, and, and life takes over. So that sort of... Uh, Dude, relationships where you can hang out all the time and you find people you can tolerate. Yeah, in the way that you are, you guys are on the road and writing comedy and doing a television show and all that stuff. It's amazing that you don't rip your head, each other's heads off. You know, I mean, it really is a special. It's uh, a chemistry. special bond for yeah. sure. And we say, you know, we had a show those who can't for three years, but that was actually three seasons. But that was actually about five years of our life. Yeah, I mean, pretty intense five and. You know, we're all from Denver. We didn't, and the show was made it from Denver, so it wasn't like we're in LA schmoozing. It's like three of us had this long shot success, yeah. And it was really we were under a microscope and a lot of network pressure, and we had we would bicker, we'd have problems, but it always came back to like this three. And I think it's actually a good testament to the friendship that we're still like dying to work with each other on yeah. stuff versus like that was enough. I need to go work yeah, with other yeah. people. Um, it's quite the opposite. So I'm proud of us for that because we just, they're all, they're both such good dudes. And yeah, they're definitely good friends. 
Yeah, what was it like getting swept up into that sort of um, that TV sort of pilot machine? Uh, you know, everybody wants some kind of Netflix show. I, you know, um, not literally, but who wouldn't love to have any kind of show? Of course, uh, you know, on Netflix, well, especially if you're a comic. or whatever. Just yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, when you when you can write and you have vision and you can craft something, yeah, man. Uh, you naturally think of that. But once you started to get sort of pulled into that system and thinking it was an opportunity. What did you think about how how was the experience different than you might have imagined it to be? I mean, our experience is very drawn out. Um, just like real Cliff Notes version. We got the pilot that we shot was for Amazon. They gave us some money to shoot a pilot. They liked our script. We shot it, and they started to develop with us, and then they dropped us. And we're like, oh, that did was you- our one shot and went away. Smash cut to one year later. You know, a year of a lot of doubt and thinking we blew our opportunity. Yeah, True TV was getting more into comedy. They had seen our pilot and they picked it up, and we got three seasons out of it. But that's yeah. you know that was a lot of stress early on there. Did you shoot? I'm kind of a production nerd yeah, too, yeah. though. So did you shoot the pilot in Denver? Yeah. Well, this uh, speaking of production nerdery, like it was the best thing ever. We sold the pilot to Amazon for peanuts. They gave us fifty thousand bucks which is nothing I yeah, now yeah. know for a pilot. But at the time, we'd been shooting a web series for free. $50,000 was more than we'd ever yeah, seen. Like, hey, we're going to hire some people. And they were like... Are, you don't have to light it yourself. Well, and they let us... They're like, can, I remember in the meeting, they're like, can you shoot a pilot in Denver for 50000 And we were like, we could shoot five pilots for 50000 <laughs> And 50, we're going 000. on vacation. Right, exactly. So that was the initial pilot um, that we shot in Denver over a week. You know, With that money, we like brought in... Rory Scovel and Kyle Kane, yeah. and we just Nikki Glazer was in that yeah, pilot. Yeah. Um, just our funniest friends, and then that was the one that Amazon's like, okay, let's do this, and we wrote six more episodes, and then eventually they shelved it. Yeah, and then when we got to True TV, we had to reshoot the pilot, and that was done out in L.A. But that initial seed yeah. was very much a DIY. Yeah. Our friends in Denver doing everything. Yeah. Uh, that was, and to this day, that's the most satisfying creative experience I've ever had. Was shooting that pilot that week was yeah. like a dream come true. I, yeah, because you're bringing in your buds. They're they're also uh, they're they're the uh, the DH coming in totally. You know to to pop up prop up the script, create some great character. Rory's one of the best character actors. Dude, Rory made the character <laughs> Principal Quinn his own thing, and I remember very early on in, my, in the show, I'm like. Lauren Payton and I want to be cool like I want to be the cool guy at school the coolest teacher and so I have this faux bravado and Rory thought of the idea he's like Principal Quinn should think there's nothing cooler than my character so he's got this very kind of like just love little, he loves Lauren too, yeah he just anything I do he just thinks it's the coolest and <laughs> but he's also my authority figure so it's it's a good dynamic and Rory brings that to the table yeah. he's like you know what would be funny is this and you're like yeah that'd be hilarious yeah um, but no, it was it was like these local filmmakers did that pilot. They've since the Nix brothers. They now live in L.A. and make TV. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, it was just this labor of love out of Denver. Yeah. And it ruled. It was really a funny pilot. Well, yeah. And then it, then uh, so they so what happened? So Amazon says, uh, "What thanks will pass?" Yeah. Even though much. you created this awesome pilot. Yeah. And then and they the, had us write six episodes it? to because they were like developing. We were in development, and then they passed. And we were so deflated. Yeah. And also, I had awful personal stuff going on in my life at the time that was like, so I was just, this is, it was a rough year. Um, but, you know, lo and behold, you never know. Like, someone saw the pilot, True TV resurrected it. 
and we got three seasons out of it. Yeah, which was great. That's incredible. Um, well, uh, yeah, and then uh, you know, and then so three seasons. So over that's not three full years. It's probably like you get you found out in season one. At some point, you're going to get renewed. And yeah, right in the early season one, we got season two quickly, and then season three was like, are we going to get it? And we yeah. got it. And then kind of during the season three, we're like, I think this is going to be the end. You can just get a sense for those things. Yeah. Um, and that was last year. So now we're you know working on the next thing. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And uh, I asked you last night a little bit about it, but just having that experience hopefully puts you towards the front of the line of a hard look. Doors are more open yeah. because people are like, they've done it. They've, but these the guys can successfully. That's the thing is, I, I, when I see the the chatter through through your guys' social, like people love those who can't. Like it's, they was really found a hardcore fan base. It really did, and it, they're the sweetest fan base, and it, it's a cult comedy for sure. And I mean, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but like True TV aired it in a way that was very much, hey, it's on at eight on Thursdays. And people are like, oh, we don't know what that means. We don't watch TV like that anymore. So it was a hard show to find. Right. Um, but those that did find it, like, really embraced it. And, and you know, we had, like, Pat Oswalt was an yeah. early champion of it. And yeah. all these very cool comics that we've worshipped from afar were like, this is really funny. And we're yeah. shouting it out. So, yeah, it's great. And when, you know, I travel and do comedy and meet people who are those who can't fans, it's like this little yeah. family. And they're, yeah. they're real nerds. They're super into it. Well, it has sort of that, um, maybe on a, a slightly different scale, but that's sort of like arrested development, sort of like crap, but you, you lock into the characters and the fan base sort of finds it. That, that sort of connection is what I'm talking about to the, to the show, which is a high, high compliment when you yeah, get people I'll, that just... Hey, man, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had two writers, actually, that went and went on to write for Arrested Development for oh, our okay. show. Yeah. yeah, and like so they, we, we love that show and yeah. love that sensibility. That's awesome. So uh, the other, uh, so just to go back to Grand Rapids. So you, you, when was the first time you performed in first Grand Rapids? First time I performed in Grand Rapids must have been twenty thirteen. Okay. I went and headlined Doctor Grins. Yeah, uh, early on in my headlining experience. Yeah, you had the. You talked last night about yeah. tanking there. Was that the the year that you tanked, or was that later? Yeah, no, it was the year. Yeah, I mean, I'm not shy about talking about it. Yeah. It's what my whole one man show is about. But I, I lost my little sister to suicide in 2012. And then that, and literally, we sold that pilot to Amazon two weeks later. So it was like this, yeah. just career success, yeah. worst thing ever imaginable happening yeah. all at the same time. And so, come when I came to Grand Rapids, I got booked, and I was not in a good headspace. And I, I maybe did fine. I talked to Yoder, and he's like, "I don't remember you bombing that hard." And I was <laughs> like, "Well, I remember it differently." Yeah, but uh, but it was just a dark dark time for me yeah and i want to just put a pin in that because i do want to circle back sure. on it but then sure. we um so then 20 so you've been to grand rapids a few so, times so that was the first yeah. one and then they had me back for that festival yeah. where you and i met yeah that was 16 and then this is the third time and then you may or may not be coming back to grand i mean uh so you have a couple different shows let me just check i'm gonna check your notes i'll drink this delicious always, grand rapids water oh, during the break there it is well, let's talk about the two different arms. So you have a show that you travel with that's the, uh, stemmed from a book that you wrote. Right. And I'll tee it up, but just the... Um, uh, and then, but you've had a traditional stand-up career. You've done stuff with the Growlix uh, as a trio. Mm-hmm. You do solo stand-up. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're a working, uh, traveling guy. But, yeah, I'm a troubadour. Um, 
Last night we saw at the listening room. It was it was all related to your your book and your sister Lydia. Yeah, and it, the book is called Tragedy Plus, Plus Time. But is this uh, at the show that you put on last night? Does it have its own name? name? Yeah, it's called Happy Place. Happy Place. That's Happy right. Happy Place. And then, um, so the, what's cool, I think, is that you have this whole side of you that helps people through uh, your, your story. And it's so well crafted. Thank it's, you. It's Thanks. really is truly amazing. And um, but then you have your your regular comedy uh, act and your own writing and just your own you know that's its own thing. But you yeah, have these two lanes. They're, they're so talk about separate. having these two channels of your well, brain. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, when you go through something like that and you're on stage as a career funny man and you don't feel funny. Yeah, it's hard. Um, but I didn't talk about my little sister much at all and what I went through at all on stage, ever. Yeah. And then uh, it, it just, but I'm a writer. I wrote for a newspaper for five years. Yeah. I always was a writer before yeah. I was a comic. And so I just Even your work. wiki says writer. It doesn't say comedian. Yeah. I, I consider myself a writer first. Yeah. If I'm a comic, it's because I'm a failed writer. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I started writing about it and just like putting out, I wrote this one piece and it was very cathartic and I cried and cried and wrote it out and then I kind of put it out online because I just did and it like exploded. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, clearly there's something here and then it felt good to write. So I just kept writing and I wrote the book. And I thought, and the book is all about what I went through and I very much didn't write the book with the goal of, this is gonna help people. Like, I wrote it to help myself. I think that's a great distinction if you don't mind me popping in because I just think the... I think in society, there's a lot of things we do to help, and we send kids to like go paint houses in the third world, and it's yeah, a lot yeah. of cool church groups, and that's all great, but it's not really what's necessary. And I think if you, just the mindset of the book, I think it's, it, I just connected on that because I think it's great when people aren't. Thinking of their, they're just you're just writing and sharing from your own perspective, but not with this prism. Is like, oh, how can I help people? For sure, and because it's not as organic as you know. No, and and it feels opportunistic and like you're seizing on a market for grief. Yeah, and I really wanted to write this. A a literary agent approached me and said, "You should write a book about this." I read the thing you wrote. You should write a book about it. And I was, I'm a writer. I've always wanted to write a book. I was like, of course. And so I 100 percent processed a lot of things yeah. by writing it. I didn't sit down at the computer and be like, I've gathered my thoughts, mm-hmm. let's go. It was as I wrote, yeah. I found my thoughts. And honestly, I mean, the only benefit that comes out of it, I've learned, is just this is an honest depiction of mental illness and suicide and what it does to a family and all of yeah. it. And you and would so, expect... And all you can do is be honest. That's my point, and I'm sorry to jump on the yeah, back yeah. of that, but it's just so, seeing the show last night, it's so raw and honest, but at the same time, you've done brilliantly in the writing and performance of it to Thanks. give it the levity that it needs to give people a breath to collect themselves, it, because I think these issues are... are the hardest things for people to understand, mental illness and depression and whatever, then uh, is the is the domino that, that starts off where eventually it could lead to suicide. Right. Is the most complicated, I think, thing of all things to sort of wrap your head around and the collateral damage, which you do such a great job of describing. Well, thanks. Is, um, is something that... Uh, but the, the, uh, just as a, as a stage show and watching you perform it, 
um, it really was that roller coaster in such a positive and but empathetic way. And I think you've brilliantly danced around all these issues that you even well, talk about on stage. Thanks. Is man. it optional? You know, can I have permission? I'm going to do this. Yeah. Or, you know, can I talk about? It? You have these, you know, sort of permission with your sister. Sure. To to kind of move the ball forward. Well, it. and truthfully, like. Lydia was so damn funny, yeah. so funny, and dark, clearly, and just freakishly intelligent. Like, my older sister is so smart, and I'm decently intelligent, but Lydia would just ran circles around us. Yeah. So Was she to, the youngest of you? She was the youngest. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to do anything less than perfect or anything, God forbid, cheesy or self-helpy, would be such a disservice to Lydia. That yeah. with the book and with the show, my real my goal is to like make people understand her and get to know her a little bit and like celebrate her and in a in a sad way keep her alive a little bit. Like yeah. this was an amazing person that mental illness just took out and it sucks and here's yeah. what happened. Right. You know, and I don't know why I like I thought the book would would just scratch the itch. Like, I've talked about it, I'm done, mm-hmm. but it awakened the desire to talk about her even more on stage. And yeah. I kind of talk about that in the show, but yeah. But yeah, I. But uh, it also creates kind of a sense of obligation to keep going. You know what I mean? Because I think I would imagine that when you connect to an audience that connects to the book and then wants to talk to you, no, and you. they have their own experiences. Yeah. Is that um, is that taxing for you to sure hear? sure I mean at the after every show you would not believe the things people say but I would be such an asshole if I was like sorry show's over like I'm up there bearing my soul about a very personal yeah. very hard to talk about thing yeah. and more often than not everyone in the audience or eighty percent of the audience has. Mm-hmm had something like this yeah. and they want to share so yes it's taxing to hear people's awful yeah. grief filled stories but you just say I'm sorry and yeah. as I say in the show it's like hey it sucks and doesn't get better but like we're talking about it it's alright yeah. yeah. you know so but yeah I, I can't leave the venue under an hour after the show I yeah. gotta sit and chat with people and, and hear their well, stories well it's because you've opened the door you've led with vulnerability yeah, I, I'm leading yeah, I, brought, yeah, I put myself up the, there yeah, and, it, and, it, it'd be wrong to then just vanish into the night but I have done some shows where especially early on and in Denver where many people that knew her oh, yeah. and me were there and I was just like so overwhelming I literally got off stage and like left the yeah. walked out the back door and yeah. got in my car and just drove and yeah. drove <laughs> it's yeah. just like I gotta get Deservedly out of here deservedly so for sure um but there was a fascinating part of the discussion, and then I read you published a, a, an article in Esquire, and it was about um, the, oh, the EMDR yeah. therapy. And yeah, and I was so enthralled with that about memory recovery. Right. And there was this cheesy part of me when you were describing the these vibration tools or yeah. whatever they had in it. It was like, for a minute, I go, is this kind of like a Scientology type of thing? <laughs> I know, right? right? Which seems kind of strange, but it's not at all. And, and uh, forgive me for even like bringing up uh, Scientology with it, but it was just the, the no, I know devices what you're in the hands. It's the devices in the hands. Yeah. It's hard to describe without sounding a little sci-fi. Yeah. Um, but truly, they're just like, Buttons you hold that that buzz, you know. Uh-huh. It's not like some weird machine you're hooked up to. So sorry, will you just tee up this therapy? Because I yeah. think it was so interesting, and I also was curious if it helps. And obviously, uh, you can describe how it helped you, yeah. and why you why that therapist um, 
thought it would be a good journey for you to go on. Sure. Uh, but then are there other applications for this type of thing other oh, I, than grief and, and reco- death and things like that? Well, that I don't know. But so basically the okay. therapy is EMDR, and it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. So essentially it's for people who've gone through trauma. It's for PTSD. Yeah. So a lot of soldiers that come back from wars do this stuff. And, and truthfully, it's about, for me, and I can only talk about my experience, um, it was about having traumatic, specific traumatic memories mm-hmm. and flashbacks and nightmares that were fucking me up. Yeah. And so this was a way, as, as my therapist explained to me, using the metaphor that of the of the brain being like a filing cabinet yeah. and this awful memory of my little sister um, was like an errant file that kept yeah. popping up. And so this therapy, which simulates REM, rapid eye movement, mm-hmm. is, help, is designed to help you file that away in an orderly fashion. And, and I, it was weird as I didn't want to lose the memory. It was, right. I mean, I'll just tell your listeners, I found my little sister and it was mm-hmm. awful as you can imagine. And, and that haunted me and still does. But I'm it was, sorry, just to clarify, you were talking about when um, when she passed. Yeah, you were you found her. I was so, the one who yeah, found her. I just wanted to no, yeah, to clarify sure. what you meant. But yeah, yeah. So that's so that's very traumatic, very sure. traumatic, and it shock anybody into you know a catatonic state, and and it was fucking me up. And so that was the memory that she's like, we can get control of this. Um, but what was weird is I think I was saying is, is I didn't want to lose it, which is right. a weird thing. I, I didn't want to lose it. I wanted that memory. It was a oddly, it was my final one with her and in a weird, dark way, there was an intimacy about it. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I found my sis and I wanted that memory. So she's like, it's not going to go away, um, but it's going to, we're going to control it. Mm-hmm. And so the therapy really worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was curious about, and maybe I misheard or the direction, but did it help you recover other memories just positive memories throughout your lives together it did because because that memory of finding her was so shocking and all just dominating that it seemed to like take up more space in my brain yeah. Yeah. than it should have yeah and it's and i think that i don't know the technical stuff i don't sure, know the sure. science behind this yeah. but like i think it pushed away other memories or yeah. sublimated or, them sure. and so in doing this and filing it away, it felt like other memories came mm-hmm. back. It was felt like I could only remember bad things about my sister. Sure, yeah. The last two years, which were, when you actually think about it, an aberration in her life. Yeah. So it, w- it was a way of, of making those two years occupy less space in my brain and mm-hmm. getting the previous 26 back. Yeah. I mean, is a kind of way to look at it. It's heavy, well, it makes heavy sense stuff, to me, but. and it's like as I get uh, older, you know, I'm 51 now, so it's like uh, there are times, like you think about, like my parents are in town right now, I was telling you about this, uh, they came in town to help, uh, yeah. my, my daughter had some surgery and things, so it's pretty intense at home just with, you know, kind of this care for her, which is fine, it's, uh, it, you know, it's going to have a great outcome, Yeah. but right now we're in the weeds, and... Um, but as so, my parents are in town, so you know, thing you flash back to certain stuff, and we we're talking about this original neighborhood in Detroit where I, I was born on the east side. So anyway, I couldn't, I can't remember that. And then you start thinking about other stuff, and I wondered if there was a more of a uh, maybe not a therapeutic thing, maybe it's be therapy, but to recover memories was what I was kind of. Thinking you know, it's about. all the brain is like complex, yeah. and I often say, you know, we're 
25 years removed from electroshock therapy. Right. We're not, <laughs> we're not, we don't understand we're not the brain. Scientists. No one's like crushing it. Right. Even this EMDR, the most specific, you know, chemistry, we still, in 100 years, people are going to look back at what we were doing as yeah. like archaic yeah. with the brain. So, well, my, 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 I was telling you about my daughter, and she had a brain surgery right, at, right out of the womb, and, and she had a couple of them. But I was talking to her neurosurgeon, right? This guy's brilliant, and he cracks open people's heads all the time, yeah, right? Yeah. To fix their brains, right. or to do, save their lives, or accidents, injuries, whatever. So, I was growing about all these um, prognosis, and even though my daughter had just been born and she hadn't even had her first. Uh, uh, we just knew she'd had a brain hemorrhage. So I was asking about her, what's she going to be like or what kind of deficit. I was trying to, app, uh, you know, and he's yeah, like, yeah. you know, he goes, we don't know a lot about the brain. This is a neurosurgeon. This neurosurgeon. And I was appreciated the candor, but also he said it doesn't, you know, when he, he dealt a lot in brain injuries. And I think in some ways the trauma of um, stress and these things that you're talking about are injuries to the brain. Absolutely. And um, you can't really predict how people react. So he was just talking about physical blunt injuries to the brain, whether it's a, a stroke, a hemorrhage, or if it might be a car accident or something. He'd say we, a large area of a brain could be look terrible. And you could have a high-functioning person. Right, right. And then you could have a scan of a brain, and there's a very small area affected, and they're almost vegetated. Right, but it's the perfectly bad area. Yeah, yeah. and it's just you don't really know. And they don't know outcomes. They don't know recoveries. They can't predict. Right, right. And um, so, well, complicated when you add emotion and stress and all these, all, uh, all, of, it. all, all of it. I'm lucky that I found someone who I later learned was like a leading expert in the field, and she was excellent at what she did. And people are always like, can I get her number? And she doesn't even do it anymore. She's out the game. But I've talked being now a sort of spokesperson for this, or, or you know, I wrote an article about it, and I've found many people will come to me after shows and say, I did EMDR, and it didn't work for me, uh-huh. and it was awful, because you're reliving the sure. most traumatic moment of your life, and if you don't have a skilled practitioner there with you, yeah, you need a. You need it's a like good any guide. field. There's good people yeah. and bad people in it. So to people who have done it and it didn't work, I always say like maybe try it again with someone else, or just leave it. I get it. No, you don't yeah. need to relive trauma for no reason. Right. But I was very lucky that the first one was like swish. She's perfect. This yeah. is helping, and it worked for me. So that I, you know, I'm a a messiah of her specific treatment for me. Yeah, but I can't really speak it to worked. the to it at first. Well, society at large, that trust in doctors and those things, like uh, you, you alluded in your show, you know, some unsuccessful attempts right. at therapy after, yeah. where some really crazy shit was uh, suggested to you, and these are supposedly professionals, and I you see that in every side of the the thing, but I think. The my takeaway, which is a, a bit of a left turn, okay. here is just that you know the healthcare system in the United States, especially around mental health. We we think if you have a physical problem, it seems to be more of a transactional relationship. You know, I have a broken arm, I can get it fixed. I need my appendix out, or even like a cancer, I can get chemo. There's a there's a process and there's a roadmap. Yeah, with mental illness or any kind of depression or any kind of those things. It is so hard to unravel and diagnose and then get people on the right track because it, it's you're dealing with the brain, which is not fixing a tendon. You know, it's a really complicated space. So I get why it's a weird space. Well, it's also, it's also like 
if, if any good comes out of what I'm doing, it's like destigmatizing because it is, even in woke ass 2020, yeah. we still whisper like, oh, suicide. Like, yeah. it's there, it's prevalent. Mm-hmm. And I often say, like, my family is of means. My dad's a lawyer. Yeah. My mom, you know, we're, we're fine. We, yeah. we got Lydia the best help we could get her immediately. Yeah. And we didn't have to worry about price. We just, anything you need, whatever. And, and we still lost. Yeah. So if like we like I can't imagine what it's like to be homeless and schizophrenic and have yeah. nothing right. or no one. It's a, it's or just terrifying. uninsured or, I mean, un- or just uninsured. At, yeah. Which drives me crazy about that was my other part of the left turn. The part two of it was just like these people that will beat their chest about America having the best health insurance in the world. Right. Or the best not insurance. Yeah. No. no I feel like system. not even anyone says that. <laughs> yeah. Is a joke. You're living. You're living in the the most uh, biggest pile of putrid ignorance when you say that about our healthcare system. Yeah. And I say it from the experience of our family. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine. Uh, you know, you talk about means. I don't have lots of money. I have. I pay a shit ton for great healthcare. I'm sure. And and my own health insurance. Yeah. And we're fortunate, and it bleeds me dry every single year. Like the oh. burden of that is unbelievable. But if you don't have those things, your parents and insurance and things you could provide to Lydia are, were exceptional. The deficits and the the sort of things that we perpetuate as a society by keeping impoverished people dep- uh, out of the healthcare system is creating so much garbage. And it's, it's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. Yep, America's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> straight from straight from Rocky Mountain territory. Yeah, dog. Well, thanks for letting me vent on that. No, just I hear you. I, know, I hear you. But I, I have so much empathy, and I think that's part of what, why your show's great, is, is it, you know, when you go through this types of... Nobody asked for this. No one... You didn't ask for for this to be projected into your family dynamic. No. And I didn't ask for my kids to have health problems and just the collateral thing. Sure. But it does crack you open in a way that you, there are, if there are any silver linings to uh, anything, what what have you learned from this process of, of the journey of healing? You're never healed. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think... You know, it's it's two pronged because I am a cynical comic that likes to shit on everything just out of nature. Yeah. But it has made me way more vulnerable yeah. and empathetic. Lydia was an em- empathetic to like a alarming degree. Yeah. And I wonder. I mean, that was true from when she was a baby all the way to the end. And I wonder how if she just felt too much. Right. Um, but it has awakened an empathy in me of just how hard it is to be a human. And yeah. so like, I, I try, I think it's made me be a little bit more aware of like everyone's struggling with some shit yeah. all the time. Yeah. So like, if you're angry at that guy, just step back for a second. Yeah. You have no idea what his day was like yeah. or what he's got going on at home. Yeah. That has, it's done that for me, but it's also made me a little more, um, less afraid of death. Really? Yeah. I just like, I'm now I haven't have, seen that coming. I, I have a one-year-old now, and I clearly want to. I want to see him have kids. I want to be around as long as I can possibly be around. Yeah. I just am in love with this dude. Um, but I don't know. It seems to not scare me anymore. Mm. I just feel like it's. I think my dad is sort of a spiritual guy, and not in a doctrinal way, but just in a hippie sure. from Berkeley type of way. Um, 
and, and it's just kind of like, you know, it's better to just stare wide-eyed in amazement at, be, at the fact that you're here for any time at all. Yeah. Especially with the shit that can go wrong on, you know, it, I got so many friends who've lost kids and yeah. stuff like that. So it's just like, hey, you've got a kid, you're, you're here, things yeah. are beautiful, yeah. just be in it. Well, this has come up on the podcast quite a bit, is just being, you know, trying to be intentionally present. All I have is right now, it's you and me, it's me and Adam I, talking. I wrote a joke on stage, I'll pull this out, and I go, hold on, I got to set a reminder to be in the moment. <laughs> but, uh, but yes. But there's some truth to it, because yeah. it's, everything's ethereal, and once, once it's gone, it's gone in terms of like what happened 10 minutes ago. But in t- just getting back to about death and you being unafraid of it, I, I'm kind of more afraid of death, but not for myself now. It's because uh, the vulnerability of, of my kids yeah. that I think about how hard it's going to be, if it would. But th- that makes me more fearful, but it's a different type of fear than... Yeah, no, I'm fearful about. for that as yeah. well, like yeah. who's going to provide for yeah, my yeah. kids. And, but, you know, I ran out and got a million-dollar health insurance policy, <laughs> and it's like, there you go, kid. But, um, yeah. but no, I, I yeah. definitely am fearful of that component of it. But I guess sort of... Bigger, bigger, picture. like you exiting it, it, the planet, and this is what, like you have to really tap in. You can't live in this place, but like I just think of it on terms of evolutionary scale. Yeah, and you know how many, how long have humans been around? A couple hundred thousand years, if that. Yeah, and the planet's been around billions of years, and it's still like a blip. Yeah, so my, what, I'm f- almost forty. That's like so minute. Yeah, and on that scale. 140 are the same level of minute. Yeah. So if I'm out today or if I'm out tomorrow on the vast scale of all time, it was the same little fucking blip. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to enjoy the blip. Well, true. And we're all here. <laughs> That's the other thing that I think that brings to you. So, you know, you try to um, savor and anticipate special moments more, even your day to day, you know, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's hard. It's cheesy. It's it's to say it that way, but it really is. If you can focus a little bit more on the practice of it, it only takes a second to go. I'm gonna enjoy the next five minutes. Yeah. You know? Well, all this shit is cheesy and cliche because it works. And you know, stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason because they're kind of yeah. out there. Right. So, like the stereotype of self help is like be in the moment, enjoy it, and it sounds cheesy, like we're reading off of inspirational mugs. But it is; it does sort of just boil down to that. Yeah. And so uh, the level of of candor and earnestness might like make cynical people bristle, but it is that. Well, I think it's anything. <clears throat> nothing works unless you commit to something. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It can be comedy, your career. It could be uh, just uh, finishing a book. Sure. Could, you know, what I mean, sure. just like anything. And uh, it, and that's around just these little uh, framing the orientation of your mind in such a way that you can um, uh, just cause your brain to pause and and just take a little extra oxygen in that moment. And, well, and get it going. Now I'm a parent too, so I'm trying to be like, no screens, kiddo. So the, the we should all toss these into the ocean, yeah, because they're making us mentally ill. But I, I find a lot of it is um is leaving that and going outside does wonders for me. Yeah. Hiking, yeah. just being an outdoorsy dude, and I don't do it enough. Right, but it, every time I do it, I'm like, why am I not doing this all the time? I feel the same way every yeah. time I go to Lake Michigan, which is only you know 30 minutes away, door to door. I mean, in LA or Denver, it might you know it takes a lot. Long. It almost takes just as long as it took to get from downtown Grand Rapids to my studio here. Yeah, you know, I mean, we'd be five minutes from the beach, pretty much. Yep, and you just oh, it's that kind of stuff that it's hard to make time for when all the other noise of the 
your life gets in the way. Right, I could be doing that, but meanwhile, I'm like on my computer, like making a meme to compete with a 19 year old YouTube comic. I'm like, I don't. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, was it last night we talked about? Yeah, you you said no TikTok for you. No, that was no. It. Yeah, I can't even can't even get near it. No, I'll do the Instagram. <laughs> I'm on Facebook and Twitter, but I, I took those off my phone. So, oh, did you really? Yeah, oh, so yeah. if I want to like tweet, I sit down at a laptop to tweet. Nice. So I'm not just buried in it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's uh, good for you because uh, I am horrified when you see your screen time come up. Do you ever get the... Oh. Yeah. Oh, God. It's fucking the worst. Yeah, it's, I try to get it, make it less every week. But some weeks, if I've got something I'm promoting, it's like yeah. way up, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, well... Uh, just tell me, I, I want to be sensitive of your time, and just the oh, special yeah. thing we did during Laugh Fest was for you to pop out here and do this. Uh, I didn't know you were in town for two days, and I didn't even think about it. And I have to be careful. I'm not, I'm not trying to use my platform of uh, photography, being a festival photographer, to like ask comics to do things, but it just seemed to... Uh, I'd known you before. Too. Yeah, I'm happy so, to yeah, do yeah. this. I'm glad it worked out. But it was good to to get you out here. What are you excited about the, for 2020 uh, in terms of touring and uh, other opportunities you have coming up? You know, it just seems like it's going. So I'm doing the one man show, and I'm taking it to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is something I've always wanted to do. I'm very excited about that. You were telling me a little about that last night. Yeah, and like it's you know it's the world's biggest festival, and it's kind of where you go when you have a show that has a little bit more meat on the bones. I mean, you can take a regular stand-up show there, but uh, uh, it, I think it, the, the desire is that you bring a sort of story to tell. Yeah. And so I finally fe- feel like I've got something worth it uh, that I want to go tell. So I'm excited for that, but I do regular stand-up on the side, and yeah. I, lo- I have like a great hour I'm working on. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy about all that. Um, so yeah, I'm just like, I'm working on two scripts, I just had a vinyl record come out on Saddle Creek, which is like a really cool record label I've always yeah. loved. Um, so I'm just I'm just doing the thing, yeah, just grinding and trying to be a good dad. Last thing I ask you is just the uh, the idea. Do you think much about being a business person in comedy or as an entertainer, writer, like it, just as a practice of entrepreneurship? That's the one thing we occasionally weave into is pursuing a passion as a business uh-huh. and you make your money and off opportunities you create with your mind and the pen yeah and just that that's a special place to grind away at it because you're not selling anything anybody needs it's not a <laughs> widget it's not yeah. a carton of eggs for sure for sure um i don't bother with that yeah. type of thinking i i i need what i'm putting out Right. And as a kid, I would like nothing more than than TV shows and movies and books and music. For me, there's nothing more valuable than that. Yeah. So if like anyone's getting anything out of what I'm putting out, then that's that I'm doing something worthwhile. Yeah. But it is a hard, you know, you're like, I'm looking at 40 and being like, am I going to be doing, because every year is like, I hope I sell something this year. And you get tired of, um, as a creative, constantly trying to like prove yourself. Right. And you're like, I've been grinding at this for 16 years. In any other profession, I'd be like a junior partner or something. But <laughs> it's still just like, make this new audience laugh right. with their arms crossed. Right. Um, so, but I, I couldn't do anything else. If I stopped, I'd, I'd go crazy. I have too many like ideas I want to put out there. Yeah, and I feel that way too. I could never, I could never pivot after. I think it's twenty three years I've been doing this full time. Yeah, man. And no net, and it's like I to think of like making a salary or going into the same office every day. 
But you know what? I was talking to this guy, John Novosad. He's a comic from Denver. He's in his 50s. He used to go by Hippie Man. He's got long hair. He's here at the festival. He's such a crusher. And, you know, he's been doing it forever. And he, he lives in Boulder, Colorado. He rides the bus down to Denver to perform every night. He's a killer. But is he a giant comic that everybody knows? No. And he was talking to me today about how lucky we are to have a creative life. And just right. like, he's like, look at this, man. We're getting coffee in Grand Rapids. They brought us out here. We're in a nice, fancy hotel. Like, this rules. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, John, this rules. And I think there is, that's sort of the being in the moment and appreciative. Like, this is, you're living, he's living a very interesting, creative, funny life. Yeah. And he's lucky to be doing it. Well, and it's kind of the keeping up with the Joneses idea, too. Because if you, you never will get any satisfaction if you're always unsatisfied where you're at. But if you rewound your career 10 years and you looked at a young comic today who would kill to have had the opportunities you've had be on True TV with those who can't and have these vehicles and a great writer and the seasoning that you have as a performer on both sides of uh, your, your stand-up um, genres... It, you know, you would you would have taken somebody out to be in the position you are right now today, dude. Yeah. That that record label, Saddle Creek, was like Bright Eyes, De Separacitos, yeah. uh, Cursive. They're out of Omaha. As a young kid, I worshipped at the altar of that label. I loved them, and I liked them even more because these musicians were making it out of Omaha on their own terms and not going to L.A. or New York. And I was like, and that planted in me the seed of like, hey, maybe you can make it from your home city and just kind of be where you're from and represent where you're from. You don't have to flee to L.A. or New York. And then that label just put out my vinyl. I'm the first comic on the label. Yeah. And you got to stop and be like, that's cool, man. Appreciate that. Don't bitch and moan about what you don't have right now. 19-year-old Adam would like be doing cartwheels in the front yard. So yeah, you got to like be appreciative of that. Yeah. Well, here's a great segue. I appreciate you coming here. I appreciate you having uh, me here. Well, uh, it's been good to to do uh, I'll share the uh, photo session we did last night. I love those podcast. pics. I can't wait to see yeah, what yeah, you come up with. Yeah, I can't wait with. to work them up. And then um, we have a couple portraits from when we met in 2016. So I'll fill that up on the on the on your episode page. at the and, and just to sort of bookend it, it's not a cardigan, but the jacket in the 2016 pick. I don't, I've since lost it. <sighs> what a jacket. That was a fire jacket. What a jacket. Yeah. Really f- big fan of that jacket. <laughs> I just so love check that it out. That was still one of my favorite little moments and I just remembered you being uh, just clicking in, right? Because that shoot, I don't think it lasted more than it was 90 a, seconds. It was in a parking lot. Yeah, it was, it was very a, quick. It was the, yeah, and it was just playing around with graffiti. And then, um, and, and then I just uh, said, why don't you just, will you just shimmy up really close to this wall? <laughs> and then just the look, it's just, it was great. And those are the shoots that, you know, you don't need to shoot a lot because if you see it there, it's like, why ruin it? Yeah. It's just it, it's a great bit. I know? love that bit, or I love that photo, and I, like, used it a bunch, so it was, it was a fun one. It was good. I'll send you a bill. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You, um, no one will hear this, but you're, you're back tonight uh, performing some stuff, and you're back out. So, um I'm out there. I'm in them streets telling jokes. Anytime you're in GR, man, let's grab up some coffee and uh, we'll figure life out. I like that a lot. For sure. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed that episode with Adam, Kate, and Holland. I'm not sure I got uh, Adam over completely into the full zipper sweater camp. Um, I think he's going to be in the cardigan camp for quite some time. Uh, he's in my prayers, he's in my thoughts and best wishes for uh, his wardrobe journey, but uh, full zips are where it's at, Adam. 
Um, also, check out that uh, killer coat, that jacket that he mentioned uh, right at the end of the episode. I put photo uh, photo of him up, the portrait that uh, we did in 2016. So check out his episode page at the fullexposurepodcast.com site. And also, if you can, uh, support LaughFest. Um, as I mentioned, they had to suspend the rest of their uh, festival and their entire um, remaining lineup um, due to the coronavirus outbreak. So um, all the proceeds go to support Gilda's Club of Grand Rapids. They support people on their cancer and grief journeys and uh, a fantastic organization. So if you can slide five or ten bucks their way, just go to laughsgr.org and uh, toss them a few bucks and uh, they will make sure they impact people in a very, very, very positive way. All right, everybody, have a great week. Don't touch anything. Don't touch anyone. Just listen to podcasts. Go back into our archive. There are now 30 episodes. Uh, If this is your first episode, I don't know what you're waiting for. Um, Just start at episode one and play through 29, and then you'll be caught up. So, hey, everybody, have a great week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. This Full Exposure podcast episode has been made possible through the support of Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, who believe that creativity and the arts are essential to a rich, healthy, and fulfilling life.